I'm Bonnie Nieves, and this is my podcast. Welcome to the first episode of Educators with Purpose. This week, I am happy to have my friend Kelly Bahari from Michigan. And Kelly, please introduce yourself. Well, Bonnie, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I over the moon excited that you are having and creating your podcast and educate on purpose. Um, I think I really, really um, feel after reading your book and learning more how often I am an educator with purpose. And I guess I would have never have described myself like that, but thank you very much. Um, I am Kelly Bahari. I am a fifth grade facilitator. Um, I say the facilitator part instead of teacher only because I feel like I lead my kids to their learning um, more so than just feeding it to them. So I'm a fifth grade um, facilitator in Michigan and I have been in education for 19 years. I absolutely do love it. Um, I'm also... um, an author of a book that's going to be released in March. Um, fingers crossed that it will be ready to go by the end of March. It is called Little School in the Woods. It is a book series. Um, and there will be three books. And it's all about um, seeing children for who they are and also changing the ways that we teach to empower children. So I, I, I'm like, cannot wait for it to arrive and hold and, you know, be tangible in my hands. So, and that is who I am. I am so excited to see that book come out. I know how hard you've worked and how much of your heart you have poured into that. Well, I have in the first book, Bunny is about my son so it's kind of one of those like emotional like wow like you know it means so much more when it's a part of your life story my son's story um you know he has adhd and the things that he's gone through and the power that teachers had and helping him see his superpowers and so i wanted to make sure that his story was told and hopefully it'll help other kids out there realize how incredibly amazing and wonderful they are if they um, have been told that they have ADHD or ADD and oftentimes that changes their trajectory of how they think about themselves and I want to change that mindset I want them to realize how incredibly gift that is a gift that they've been you know it's a gift when you have that you just need to know how to use your gifts you know like superpowers or superheroes they have to learn how to use those superpowers and so so do children who have ADHD they need to just know how to manage it and then how powerful they actually are for the world around them so i just could go on and on and on about how amazing kids are. Um, But so anyway, my story will come out in March. And um, it's really, really, I just got the picture of the main character was sent to me. And so I'm over the moon excited about it. Can you share those images yet? Or are they top secret? 
I can share the images. Yes, I can share them. So I will be posting Squirrel, who is the main character of the first book, and on my Instagram page later today. Um, so, yeah, it's really, really exciting. You know, as as you know, how much time, energy, and love you do pour into a book um, as you just as you've finished writing yours and printed it just to hold it. Like that part of it, just having this like wow. You know, all of this has been poured into a book and it's really kind of, it's exciting and it's scary too. I don't know about you, but it is a bit of like, uh, you know, a little scary to release something that you've worked really hard on. Um, you know, that's a part, it's a little nerve wracking too. Yeah. If it was something that I didn't feel so strongly about, I would, it would be easier for me to put it out there for people to um, pass judgment. And although I know most people who read it will know the spirit of the book and why and how it was written, there are always going to be people who will give some negative reviews and it, it will be painful and it, um, it's just something to be expected, but I can't see anyone saying anything bad about Squirrel. That's just an awesome character and an awesome story. <laughs> the first question that I would like to ask is, why did you become a teacher? Oh my goodness, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I started my career really late in life. Um, I had already had two children and they were in middle school and I hadn't finished getting my college degree. I stopped to have kids. And um, so I was 30 when I uh, went back. And the reason I picked education um, to begin with was because my kids were in school and I really, really wanted my summers off with them. And I couldn't ever think about how they would be able to be taken care of if I had a full-time job someplace else. So really education was the only like option that I could think of that would be, you know, would help my kids and myself um, out. And then to be honest with you, I didn't even think that I was going to teach more than one year. So I really was just getting my degree. I got it. And, um, when I was offered a long-term subbing position, I I took I took it to get my feet wet as well as to say that I used my degree and then I could be done with this. And then I could just be, again, I just wanted to be a stay-at-home mom with my two children. Um, something happened, though, while I was long-term subbing and I fell in love with it. And I just couldn't, I wanted a full-time job so badly after I did a long-term sub for a friend of mine who had a baby. She had her baby early and I was called in. And when I showed up, I didn't let them know. I just took the job saying, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to take this job. I showed up eight months pregnant. So they were quite shocked when I, you know, came in to sign the papers and I was like also pregnant and they had just you know, they had a teacher that went into early labor. So anyway, 
long story short, I really honestly had no idea that I wanted to be a teacher until I was in a classroom with children. And I realized the power of embracing their little minds and helping them see themselves for who they really were. I just saw so many kids who doubted themselves as learners or that they were scared to be there or they just didn't feel like they were smart. And I just broke my heart to see it. And I just thought, you know what, I need to be here so I can at least let them know how amazing they are. And hopefully that will change their trajectory of life. Um, and that's why I stayed. And now it's like 19 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> So you didn't even intend for that to be your career, just walking in, there was something about the environment that you were in that made you want to stay. Yeah, I kind of feel like, I feel like everybody has their passions and their purpose and there's something that you were created to do. And just allowing that kind of like, you just keep following this path it leads you to your path. It leads you to these moments where you're, you know, I, I live by the word, yes, sorry, I'm going to try it. What's the words could happen? I'm going to try it. Or I'm going to try teaching. I'm going to see if I, you know, if I don't like it, what's the worst could happen? I could literally not do it again. It's not that, you know, it didn't have to be my forever. And then when I said yes, I was like, oh my gosh, I absolutely loved it. And then every year I turn around and say, yes, I'm going to do it one more year. And, you know, at the end of every year, honey, I'm retiring. Ask anybody around me. At the end in June, it's like I'm having my retirement parties. Anybody want to come? And they're like, what? You're never, you're not coming back? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll say yes in September. And I do. <laughs> I worked with a woman who was a teacher for 40 years, I think, in the same classroom, in the same district in the same school that she graduated from. And she used to say, I retire every year for two months, every summer. And then I come out of retirement because I love my job so much. Yeah. And that's when I come out of retirement I don't know. <laughs> and I guess it depends on the kind of summer that you've had. Right. And I wonder after this year, how many teachers are going to not come out of retirement in September? We'll have to see. I keep saying that but, myself, you know, like, you know, I've always come out of retirement because I've absolutely loved what I do. I love, you know, I love education. I love it all. I, I've, you know, it's just a part of who I am now. So coming out of retirement every September is always just been for love of it. And then I keep thinking, what's going to happen this coming September? Will I still be able to say I want to do this? Like it's, it truly is probably the hardest I've ever worked. The hardest, the, the most, not necessarily like the day-to-day -day kind of like, you know, you're with your kids. When I'm with them, everything seems to flow. And it's, you know, there's just this natural groove that we're in it's all the other things that are just so exasperating and it's just one thing after another you know I know that you guys are working so hard and I'm so appreciative of you guys doing all the stuff here's one more thing you're gonna have to do and it's like wait don't 
don't pat me on the back and then put a platter in front of me and tell me to balance one more thing on my plate. I just can't do anymore. So and I feel like, you know, what if people are out there and they don't love this job as much as I do? How are they doing this every day? Yeah. And actually that, um, leads to the next question that I was thinking of asking you was that if, if your identity, if you identify yourself as a teacher, right? Like through and through teacher, do you feel like that is accurate or do you feel like you're limiting your perception of yourself like do you think you could be more or do you think that an educator is like all encompassing and that is all there is I don't think I could identify myself as only a teacher or only a part of education I think that's a very small part of Kelly you know who I am um, you know, there's so many other parts to me. I think all of me seems to embrace education. Um, you know, as a mom of four children, that's Kelly. That's me. I'm a mom. I am, you know, raising children to be their best selves. And then, but being a mom and knowing their stories of education or their stories of learning, it literally empowers me more to be more for my students that are sitting in front of me. So when I see their stories and I'm living with their, um, their ups and downs when it comes to learning, I then take that back to my classroom or I take it back to my district or my building and I start having that conversation as well so that we can change those things within our building or in my classroom or how do how many other kids are feeling exactly the same way that my children are feeling they can't be the only children that feel these things so who else is feeling these things and can we give them a voice like all of this just seems to kind of flow back into my classroom every time you know that I think about things. I love to travel. I love to be a part of nature, but I also then want to give that to my students. So us learning outside and going outside to sit by trees and, you know, write and talk and, you know, have moments like that. It, I want to give that again, back to my students. They're never very far from my mind. It's so yes. Is it all encompassing? Probably. You, yeah, it probably is. I don't think that it limits me, though. I think it just empowers me to be more um, and to spread my wings and say yes to other things so that I can make it a better place for um, children. So, yeah, maybe my identity truly is all education. Bonnie, is that true? I don't know about you, but for me, I feel this. I feel the same way that you just explained every time. Well, now that my, my own children are out of the house, every time I experience something, I think, how will this translate to my classroom? You know, if I, if I go to um, an exercise class and I'm super motivated by the person that's coaching me, I, I'm immediately thinking, what is it that this coach is doing that's motivating me because I want to be able to do that for my students. 
if I go outside, I'm on a walk outside and I see some great ecological interaction, I take a picture of it and I share it with my students because I want them to see it the way that I see it and then be able to experience it for themselves. So yeah, I think it does invade into every part of our lives. And um, I don't know that it's a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, I think about, I'm thinking also too, just, you know, there's a lot of conversation about social emotional learning and, you know, self-care and taking care of oneself so that you can be better for others and how important that is for teachers right now. I mean, if there's ever been two years or, you know, I know that like one year's coming up, I just seriously feel like it's been like two to three years that we've been going through COVID. But um, at this past year, it has been more important for us to really take time to self-care and, and heal and have those downtimes. Even then, though, I have to say when I'm sitting in my yoga pose and I'm you know, breathing, I, I think about, A, my own children, how important it is for them to be able to do these things too and to help them, you know, know about it. But also, too, helping my students learn how to breathe. And then I go right back to the classroom and I think about, you know, let's learn how to breathe properly so that we can release our stress. How do we name our stress so that we can release it? And then I'm right back to the classroom. Even my self-care seems to wrap back around into the classroom. Yes. Education is like my identity. That's who I am. I just need a t-shirt. Who are you? Education. <laughs> but see, that's what got you here on this in this conversation with me about educators with purpose, because it's almost like it is our purpose. And it's on and purpose. It's, I'm designing it yes, on yes. purpose to make it better. You know, it's not haphazardly working. It's, I love, the, I love, love, love your book. And what I loved about it was that there was a central theme of reflecting, reflecting on your practice, reflecting on your actions, reflecting on the things that you're doing. And then it becomes this purpose-driven action. That I loved that about your that that common thread that went through your entire book and, and a million other things. But it remind it really helped me realize how often I actually do reflect and then become very purpose-driven on what I'm doing. Um, I don't necessarily know that I've ever taken a mental thought though that I've been reflecting. It just seemed to be this natural thing that I was doing, but I never called it out. Now, if that's even on purpose, now I'm actually saying, okay, I'm reflecting on today. What worked? What didn't work? How can I make it better? And, and that I loved about your book. So thank you. Yeah, and that is something that I just happened to do. And looking back, I know that it's something that I've always done, but never intentionally. And once I figured out how powerful of a tool it was, I do do it um, intentionally and on purpose every day. 
and um, always have some takeaway that I can use either the next day or the next week. But always make sure there's something that keeps me moving forward and never in a circle. Never in a circle, never the repeat of the same, because it can always get a little better. You know, I, I think, you know, when, when I think about that reflection piece, and I remember vividly being in a class, you know, before pre-teaching classes, you know, at the university, um, and how often they said, you know, you should have a notebook at the end of the day. And you know, write down the things that worked. Um, I don't necessarily know that people are actually doing that. I don't, I know I didn't, but I also think oftentimes too, we write down what's worked and we ignore the things that didn't work or we just throw them out with, you know, the bathwater. Like that didn't work, throw it out instead of redesigning it. Instead of thinking about how, actually what could I do with that part to make it better. You know, we just want to grab what's good and then throw all the bad stuff out when really, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe it just needs to be redesigned and repurposed into a better lesson. And, you know, I don't necessarily know that they teach how to do those things. Well, developing professional development and holding professional development sessions, it's people saying things like, well, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. I don't have time to do that. And those are all valid. But what we need to consider is there are things that you're doing that are not effective. So we can either replace those things or just retool them. But if it's something that you've been doing every year, just because you've been doing every year and a lot of times we don't even realize what those things are until we sit back and really pay attention to our classroom routine and then stretch out to our weekly routine, monthly, the curriculum routine. You know, what are the repeating patterns that we have that may or may not be very effective and what might we be able to do better in that amount of time because all of our time is so precious. I remember um, my first full year of teaching and there was a teacher in our building and down, down the hall a little way and she had these binders and they were all color coded they looked so good on her shelf. Like it was just an adorable shelf because it had all of these matching binders and it was like October, you know, November, December. And it was like, what's in those binders? And she like pulls it out and it was what I do. Like every year she'd pull out the binder and that's what she would teach or do. And I was just like, I didn't know if I was mesmerized by this whole process or just like bored. Like I looked at that and thought I couldn't personally do that. I've never taught anything probably the same twice. 
uh, year after year or what, you know, every class is a different classroom and every student in that classroom needed something different. So I had no idea even how to even think about teaching from a binder uh, that I, that they created with dittos or whatever. I wasn't even really 100% positive what was in there, but I think looking at them, I thought, wow, I'm bored. I have no idea how a child would want to be, you know, how engaged, you know, I feel like I put on a play every day in front of my students when I'm standing up there or behind them or around them. And, you know, like, it's just a different scene. I don't know. It just, I think that whole, when you said a circle, it just keeps coming back to me that some, some teachers really thrive in teaching the exact same thing, exact same way. And because it worked five years ago. And so, you know, that would be my only encourager to say to teachers is like, lose the binders, lose them, you know, redesign, think about creating something new for your students to, to, you know, actually thinking about the kids in front of you, what would they need and what do they need, you know, what would keep them engaged, you know, today is going to be different than yesterday. It's hard work. What you said there. That what you said and your word choice was really important, right? What you do for your students, because it's different from class to class, from desk to desk. It's different. Every student has a history and interests and, and their ability, their current ability. Yeah, teaching isn't about me and it's not for me. I already know this stuff. I've already learned it. Like I know exactly what I'm teaching those kids because I have taught it a gajillion times and I know it. So the whole process of teaching has nothing to do with me. And sometimes I feel like when we're teaching the exact same things, it becomes about you. It becomes what's easy. It becomes what, you know, is normal for you. But it, then the one, the one part of teaching which is your students has been left out every day begins with what they need or every day begins with what how can I reach them you know I don't think about them as you know 26 together I think about them as 26 individual kids that are sitting in front of me and when I know one student is struggling so hard on writing I have to be very, very conscious about what, how I'm going to reach the student. How do I empower this one child to pick up a pencil or type something that's meaningful for them? How do I get them to fall in love with writing? What is that process for this one child? That's one kid. Now I've got 25 other ones that need something different. That's why I love learning. I mean, teaching well, and learning, but I love teaching for that reason alone because every day is new. When, that's amazing. It's fun. I I couldn't go to a desk and pull out my FICA on the desk and pull out my lunch at 11 and then put my FICA away at the end of the day and then leave my, my little, my place. I just couldn't, for me, I would be really bored and I don't know that I would love my job. Here, I really, really love what I do because I really, really love the kids in front of me. Yeah. And I have this analogy in my head because I, I think in pictures. So as you're talking, I'm creating this image in my mind of the difference between 
a cruise ship with you at the helm and a bunch of students or just a whole bunch of canoes paddling. Some of the students are in their canoe and they're paddling off to the shore and they're taking a little adventure and then other ones go straight to the end paddling as fast as they can. Some paddle together, but everyone's moving in the same direction. We're all just taking our own path. Right. Yes, I, I think I, I might that. have to put yes, that I somewhere. Can, <laughs> that's funny because uh, you, uh, being from Michigan, we have. I grew up around rivers. Like we canoed every weekend. Like that's our thing. You know, we still canoe um, or kayak. Um, and so I can just I remember like just taking you know my kids and it was you know one canoe's tipping over, one is up on the bank and, you know, picking flowers. And the other one was like, you know, stuck in the branches. And then somebody paddled back and got them out of the branches and pulled them out. And it was just this team effort to get to the end of the river, you know, to get out of our canoes. And I remember we all laughing and having a great time and then exhausted by the end of this trip we were just like laying on the beach going oh my gosh it's just so much fun and we're tired and you know what we got right back in the kudos the next weekend and did it again you know so yeah I love that whole analogy that we've a bunch of canoes just going the same direction and working together to make it work and you know at the end we really had a lot of fun versus being in a you know in a speedboat <laughs> one person driving, everybody's sitting down and buckled up because they can't get out of their chairs because we're going so fast, you know? And when we get done, nobody had fun except for the driver. You know, the rest of us might have been in the back scared to death. I've been in plenty of boats where I was just buckled up thinking, I just want this to end. We're going way too fast. I am not having fun. Why can't we slow down and enjoy the sights and all of those other things? So out of the speedboat and let's get into some canoes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, I love it. All right. Here is our last question. I know it's the, it's the big one, Kelly. The question is, if you were going to design a school, what would be your one non-negotiable and why? Ooh, the one non-negotiable in my school. Gosh, there's a lot of things that I could seriously consider which would be a non-negotiable. Um, I think I really, really feel like one of the things that I would design in my school, which would be a non-negotiable, would be that every student walking into the school would get their own IEP, their own personal plan for their education, and we would have to follow it as law. Like an IEP is a, it's non-negotiable. If they have an IEP, you follow it to a T. I think every child deserves to have their own IEP so that we can reach their needs. That means you really have to know every child that walks in there. Again, we're not looking at a group of kids in a fifth grade classroom. We're looking at 26 kids who need something to make them the most successful. And that might only be their IEP. It could be, a, it could be social emotional that they need. It could be the fact that 
You know, it's a behavior issue. 80% of behavior issues is because lack of knowing something and that they're struggling academically. When we can fix those issues, behavior issues don't become a problem anymore. They're engaged. We talk all the time about that. That's one of our, you know, real, real sound things about education. When a child is engaged, there really is no behavior issues. They are loving where they're at and feeling good about themselves. And I really feel like every child having their own personal education plan would would feel that way. So that would be my non-negotiable. I would be willing to bet that even though there isn't one in place that's legally binding, that is how you treat every student in your classroom right now. I do. I do. And the one thing that I I really, really do work hard is to is to include the parents in this process. I don't know them. They have walked in on September. I'm a brand new person to them. They're brand new to me. I don't know them. Who knows them best? Their mom, their dad, their grandparents. Um, it's amazing how many children I actually teach where their grandparents are teachers or were teachers. And I love that. I think, oh my gosh, you've got to get your grandma in here to teach us something. What would she like to come in and teach? So bringing in their families and making sure that they are 100% a part of our classroom, it is not my room. This is just a room that we get to use. This is your classroom. This is your parents' classroom. And when I, when we decide or we work to figure out, and we talk about the process a lot too, so their IP changes all the time. How are, how are they feeling this week? Okay, I'm going to check in on Friday. I'll let you know. Or, you know, if something's happening, please keep me posted so that we can, you know, adjust things here. Some kids need a break. I've got parents who call in to say, I'm really sorry. We had a rough weekend and I don't know what this week is going to look like for him or her. And it's like, you don't need to even explain. I've got it. They need a break. They can sit and they can, they can work on things that really mean a lot to them. And, they, and I'll catch them up on other things. But for this week, it might be that social-emotional piece that their parents are reaching out to me about. Some are worried about writing. Some are like, you know what? I want them to concentrate more on, you know, their grammar. Okay, we've got this. Let's work on this together. So I love including the parents on that too. I think that, you know, having a place at the table for all, all of us is really important. And sometimes the parents are the people that are not invited into the conversation. I don't understand that part of it. I love when they're a part of the conversation. It is the most important thing to have parents involved because you're right. They are the people who know their own children the best. They're the ones that do the follow through with the work that started in the classroom that extends to home and then we pick up what started at home and we follow through in the classroom so without that communication there just isn't an effective whole education it can be really a broken system when you're not connected with the parents you know I mean I've never in the 19 years I've taught I've never met a parent who didn't want the best for their child. I've never met a parent that didn't want them to be successful. Now, 
does that mean that every parent I've ever met was able to provide things at home for them? No, I've had a lot of parents who couldn't do it. They were working three jobs. They're tired. They don't have to do all of that. If homework is a nightmare for you and your family and it is disrupting the part of your family time that you should be loving and having fun, then your homework tonight is to rest. Your homework tonight is not to do homework. Your homework is to do the dishes with for your mom. <laughs> your homework tonight is playing a board game. You know, I've had plenty of times where they've written like, you, you know, when it's a little warmer, being in Michigan, we don't have popsicles right now. But sometimes my homework literally is go home, get a popsicle and go outside and play. That's your homework tonight because I know that you guys need it. Um, and if a parent can't, I love when they reach out and say, I just, I want to, but I can't right now. And that's all I need to know. I've got that then. I can handle everything within that classroom and we will do the best we can here. So you don't have to have that pressure of having to be their teacher too. That made me sad to hear. I mean, probably the worst part of COVID was when parents had to be the teachers in, at home, you know, on top of keeping their businesses and their families up and running. And then they had to be the teacher on top of that because they had to do so much they've never done before. I didn't want that for my families. I will take care of it. You don't have to be their teacher. If they're not understanding something online, then I will meet with them one-on-one -on -one or I will talk to them on the phone or I will, you know, I will do whatever I have to, but I didn't want my parents feeling like that was their job because it wasn't. Your job was to be a parent and just do what you do. Thank you so much, Kelly, for spending this time with me. And I'm sure there are people that would like to reach out to you. So can you please let everyone know how they can connect with you? Yes, um, I am K. Uh, well, on Twitter, I'm K-B-A-H-R-I-5. And then on Instagram, I'm k-b-a-h-r-i-6 so five was my grade five for twitter which is kind of like my classroom teaching um platform but then on instagram it's a little more about my family so that happens to be six because there's six of us in the family so um so that's just why it's like five and six there but, um instagram's family so number six after my first name last name and then five on twitter so, Bonnie, thank you so much for having me today. I would like, I could just go on and talk with you forever. It's such an easy conversation and I learned so much from you. So I really appreciate the time that you took to have me on your podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing everything. And I'm sure we'll have some follow-up conversations in the future. Perfect. I am incredibly grateful to Kelly for coming on my very first episode and sharing her stories and her passion and grateful to all of the people who are listening right now and supporting the work of educators with purpose. If you'd like more information about my work, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, 
You can connect with me on Twitter at Biology Goddess or send me an email at bonnie at educateonpurpose.com.